Go ahead and take out your Bibles with me this morning. Let's open them up to the book of Genesis in chapter 48. The book of Genesis in chapter 48. This morning we come again into the room of a dying man. In this passage we find Jacob breathing his last breaths. He is old, he's feeble, he's weary, he's sick. This morning we're going to spend much of our time walking through this chapter, making sure that we understand it, and then at the end I'm going to seek to point you to the glory that is in this passage for those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want us to begin by reading verses 1 through 7. So let's look Genesis 48, verses 1 through 7. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in the inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. We are now 17 years after Jacob and his family have moved to Goshen in Egypt. The years of famine, they're now over. In fact, those years of famine have been over for a decade when we come to Genesis 48. Jacob and his sons continue to live with their families under the protection of Joseph, the right-hand man of Pharaoh. Joseph loves his family. Joseph has found joy in providing for them in the land of Goshen. The family of Jacob is flourishing. They are continuing to be blessed by God. And now Jacob's time to leave this world has come. Of course, Joseph didn't live in Goshen with the rest of the family. Joseph and his wife and children, because of his position in the government, they would have lived in the capital. The capital city at this time was probably known as, I'm going to give this a shot, Aminemhat Ijitawi, which means... Amenemhat, the Caesar of two lands. 
And so Joseph and his family are living there. Word comes to Joseph that his father is sick and near the end. And so Joseph gathers his two oldest sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and he brings them with him to visit his dying father. Matthew Henry in his commentary says here, it is good to acquaint young people that are coming into this world with the aged servants of God that are going out of it, whose dying testimony to the goodness of God and the pleasantness of wisdom's ways may be a great encouragement to the rising generation. Manasseh and Ephraim, I dare say, would never forget what passed at this time. Now at this time, Jacob's eyesight had become quite poor. Uh, It was told to him, your son Joseph has come to you. It may have been that Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh had already come into the room, and yet Jacob's eyesight had become so uh, dulled that he could not detect who people were. He could not identify them. But when Jacob hears that it is his son Joseph who has come to see him, he sits up in his bed and he, he gathers his strength and he speaks. And Jacob tells Joseph about one of the most important events in his life. Jacob tells his son Joseph about an experience that took place many years before, an experience recorded in Genesis 35, We studied it in November of 2011, so I know you all remember it very well. Jacob came to Bethel, and God appeared to him, and God spoke to him. God gave to Jacob, back in Genesis 35, those same promises that had been given to his grandfather Abraham and to his father Isaac. These were the promises of fruitfulness, The promises of multiplication. Jacob, a nation is going to come from you. This nation is going to be a company of peoples. A nation of nations. We are about to find out a nation of tribes. And the land of Canaan is going to be given to them as an everlasting possession. Everlasting possession. Church, these are the promises on which our very salvation stands. God promised a glorious kingdom of descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And these descendants would exist together in a kingdom on a perfect land flowing with milk and honey. This would be a kingdom marked by righteousness and peace. A kingdom where God would dwell with His people and His people would dwell with Him. And Abraham and Isaac and Jacob looked forward to the day when that promise would come to pass. A physical nation of Israel became the earthly picture of that promise. But Old Testament Israel was not the fulfillment of that promise. It was in Jesus Christ that the kingdom came. What did Jesus come preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the kingdom that is still being built today. The New Testament tells us that the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not those related to them by blood, but that the children of Abraham are those related to him by a faith in the common God of him and his son and his grandson.
We are told in the New Testament that the promised land, Canaan, is more than just a strip of land in the Middle East. The true Canaan is going to be this entire earth made new. Heaven coming to earth. So that Canaan, as the major prophets talked about, we have this picture in the major prophets of Jerusalem growing, growing, growing until Jerusalem takes over the whole world. That's what's going to happen. Canaan becomes the entire new earth on which God's people will dwell with him forever. And he with them. Now, Jacob had had these wonderful promises given to him. And he now shares to Joseph what that experience was like. And he has a reason for sharing this now. It has been revealed to Jacob that he will be the father of tribes. And these tribes will make up this nation. And Jacob has decided that Joseph, as one of the twelve brothers, should not be the head of one tribe. He has decided to make Joseph the head of two tribes. Jacob has decided to give Joseph the double portion. And the way Jacob wants to go about this is that he is going to adopt Joseph's two sons as his own sons. Ephraim and Manasseh are going to become his grandsons. Jacob's grandsons are going to be adopted as his sons so that they are counted right along with Reuben and with Simeon and with Judah and with all the rest. And therefore, Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons of Joseph, will each become the heads of their own tribes. Now, wait a minute. I thought there were 12 tribes. If Ephraim and Manasseh both get to represent Joseph, and there were 12 brothers in all, won't that make 13 tribes? Yes. <laughs> That's the short answer. But remember that the tribe of Levi, as we will see next week, would not receive an allotment of land the way the other tribes would. The tribe of Levi is going to be set apart as different and distinct. They will be given their own cities, but they will be given the priesthood. Now, why would Jacob want to adopt these boys? Why would Jacob want to make Ephraim and Manasseh the heads of their own tribes? Why does he want to give Joseph, in this way, a double portion of the inheritance? And, what about Reuben? Reuben's the firstborn. According to the practices of the ancient Near East, Reuben, if anybody, should be receiving the double portion. So what's going on here? Well, first, we know that Jacob determined that his oldest son Reuben would never be treated as the firstborn. Because, if you remember, we read it in the past, Reuben slept with Jacob's wife, Bilhah. And it isn't that Jacob couldn't ever forgive his son for this sin of incest, but Jacob certainly thought that this sin was so severe that it ought to cost Reuben his birthright. So that from that point on, Reuben was never again treated as the firstborn of the family. First Chronicles 5 verse 1 says, Reuben was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's couch, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel. Well, second, I think we also certainly see how Jacob would have been inclined to treat Joseph as the firstborn and give him the double portion because of all that God had done through Joseph to spare this family, to care for this family in the midst of this life-threatening famine that they endured. 
And then third, it appears that Jacob gave this special blessing to Joseph because of his great love, even still, for Joseph's mother, Rachel. Isn't it interesting in verse 7 how all of a sudden this old dying man, it seems almost unexpected. It doesn't flow. And sometimes this happens when you're speaking with older people, doesn't it, right? And they're getting old and their mind's beginning to weaken and, and suddenly the, you know, things shift. And, and what happens here is, is Jacob's talking about his, his desire for Ephraim and for Manasseh and how he's going to adopt them. And then suddenly he shifts to, for my wife Rachel died. It's interesting because in Genesis 35, where God revealed these great promises to Jacob, do you know the very next thing that happens in Genesis 35? God takes his wife. This woman that he loved so much, the one that was so dear to his heart, his wife Rachel, he he was leaving Bethel where he received this glorious promise of God, the mountaintop of spiritual experiences. And the very next thing that happens, in the middle of childbirth, Benjamin is being born and Rachel is taken away from him. You can imagine what a trial of faith that must have been for Jacob. But Jacob is in many ways memorializing his wife Rachel by treating her firstborn, Joseph, as the firstborn of the family and giving him the double portion by adopting his two sons as his own, making them each the heads of tribes. Now, there is something else going on here in this passage as well. Remember, these two boys were born and raised in Egypt. These two boys, by the way, I'm calling them boys. They're young men. They're 21, probably. We know they're more than 20, probably 21 years old at this point. And these are young men who have grown up their whole lives in the Egyptian kingdom. And what Jacob is doing in this moment is telling these two grandsons of his that they are not to consider themselves as Egyptians. They are not to count themselves among the Egyptians. They are not to give themselves to Egyptian ways or the Egyptian gods. Jacob is instructing these two grandsons through this monumental statement about who they are to be. That they are to be a part of the family of Israel. The family that knows the true God. The family that worships the true God and rests in His great promises. Take a moment and put yourself in their shoes. Think about what it would have meant to be the sons of the second most powerful man in the world in that day. Because that's who Joseph had become in the providence of God. Think about the opportunities that would have come to the lives of these two young men to be rich, to be powerful, to hold high positions in government, to be successful in Egyptian life. They, think about the temptations upon them to live a life of pleasurable indulgence. They could have become Egyptian playboys living their lives on their father's dime, never having to work a day. Their temptation was much like the temptation that Moses would have experienced at the beginning of Exodus. Right? Moses, a, a prince in Egypt. He could have had a life of, lo- of royalty. But Moses chose instead to be counted among the people of God. And part of what's happening in this moment, in this dying man's room, is that Jacob is saying to his grandsons, count yourself among the people of Israel, not among the Egyptians. Matthew Henry says, Jacob will have Ephraim and Manasseh to believe 
that it is better to be low and in the church than high and out of it. Or to put it another way, it is better to be a lesser man in this world and a part of the people of God than a higher man in the ways of this world and not a part of the people of God. We must first and foremost be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. No allegiance must ever come ahead of that. Now, let's read verses 8 through 14. Verses 8 through 14. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now, the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands. For Manasseh was the firstborn. Stop there. So so when Jacob asks, who are these? It isn't that he's never met his grandsons before. He certainly had. But what we're being told here is that his eyesight had gotten really bad so that he could not identify people from a distance for himself. He likely had to be told that it was Joseph when Joseph was standing before him. Now he wants to be sure who these boys are before he blesses them. Uh, The Hebrew word used to describe his eyesight here is a word that means heavy. Uh, His eyesight had become dimmed and dulled. Remember Jacob's past. Jacob received the blessing from his father Isaac by deceiving his father Isaac because Isaac's eyesight was so poor. So Jacob, more than anyone, had good reason before he blessed these young men to say, who are these young men? Tell me the truth. Let me know who it is I am about to bless. He also had a little bit of an agenda about who he was going to put before the other. And so he wanted to make sure he knew which brother was which. So the sons are first brought to Jacob and placed upon his knees. Now remember, these are 21-year-old young men, and they are placed upon his knees. Certainly this was done gently, and probably they didn't put their weight on his feeble knees. But you might ask, why, why do that? Well, it turns out that was a very common legal practice in the days of the ancient Near East for adoption that this was Joseph's way of saying to Jacob, my sons are now yours. You are their father. And so part of the legal ritual was placing the child onto the knees of the new father. Now, as this is happening, Jacob gets an opportunity to try and and to see these boys close up and to to make out who they are and to look upon them and And then he publicly praises God and gives thanks before them all. Jacob tells Joseph, he says, Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now look at what God has done. I get to see your sons. I get to see your children. 
And I would just point out how important it is for us as a church and as parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and how important it is for us to publicly praise and thank God before others. Certainly, Jacob's statement here would ring in the ears of his grandsons for for many, many years to come. Well, then we come to the blessing itself. Joseph carefully guides his two sons to Jacob as would have been expected. He wants his older son, his firstborn Manasseh, to have Jacob's right hand placed on him. The the right hand blessing was considered the superior blessing. He brings his secondborn Ephraim so that Ephraim will have Jacob's left hand, the the inferior blessing. Uh, But what does Jacob do? Jacob crosses his hands and he places his right hand on the younger son, his left hand on the older son. Look at verse 15. See what happens next. Verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, notice he's blessing Joseph through the blessing of his two sons. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. I love this. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father. Since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. And so he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim. And as Manasseh, and thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. So, so you see here, Jake, um, Joseph thought that his father's eyesight had, had maybe gotten him confused. And, and Jacob says, no, I, I know exactly what I'm doing. Yes, the firstborn typically receives the greatest blessings. But in God's economy, sometimes things work a little different. Remember, it was God who chose Isaac and not Ishmael though Ishmael was the firstborn. God chose Jacob and not Esau, though Esau was the firstborn. And here the firstborn rights are going to go to Joseph's boys, not to Reuben, though Reuben was the firstborn. And even among these two boys, it is the younger one who will be the more greatly blessed. You hear the confidence with which Jacob speaks about the future of these boys. In the next chapter, we will continue to see Jacob give blessings that are, in effect, prophecies about the future. God has revealed certain things to Jacob about how history is going to unfold. Jacob's blessing of the younger son is not something that is happening because he's being deceived the way he did his father Isaac. No, God has helped Jacob to see the future, and Jacob is blessing the one that he knows he ought to bless. He is fulfilling God's will by blessing the way He does. 
I mentioned I, I love how Jacob refers to God in verse 15. God as the one who has been his shepherd all his life long till this very day. And it's just a reminder to us as all God's people in this room who believe on Christ. We are tempted to stray sometimes. We are stubborn. We are foolish. We can be silly sheep. But we have a wonderful and good shepherd. He's gentle. He's tender. He will guide us all our life long and bring us safely to heaven. Sometimes he'll have to use the rod. Sometimes he'll have to pull out the staff and give us a little hit. But it's always in love. And we, hopefully we will come to the end of our lives praising our Savior who has been the faithful shepherd to us all our day long. Now, last two verses. Verses 21 and 22. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die. But God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. That last verse is not an easy verse to translate. And almost every commentary has a a little bit different way that they think it ought to be translated. But it appears that what Jacob is doing here is giving to Joseph the one piece of the promised land that has already been conquered by Israel. The one little piece of the promised land that has already been taken out of the hands of the Canaanites. Jacob is giving that to Joseph. It's the city of Shechem. It's that place where Simeon and Levi took revenge on that city because their sister Dinah was raped. If you remember, Jacob was very unhappy that they conquered this city. He was not pleased that they did this. But he now accepts that in God's providence, his family has now conquered the city of Shechem. And so he grants that to Joseph. Now, what does this passage have to do with us? Uh, Certainly it's an emotional passage when you think about all that's going on here. Certainly this is a passage that ought to be interesting to us. but, But what does this passage teach us about our lives right here Right now, well, remember, throughout our study of the life of Joseph, we have seen that Joseph stands for us as an earthly, imperfect, but still very real shadow of the person of Jesus Christ. He was a proto-savior. He was a foreshadowing of the greater Savior to come. So much about Joseph's life is a microcosm picture of the macro picture that was to come in the person of Jesus. And when we remember that and consider this passage, we begin to see how this entire chapter is a picture of what has happened to every person who has ever believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. What happens in this chapter? What happens is that two young men, because of their connection to Joseph, are blessed by Joseph's father. In the same way, every single person who becomes united to Jesus Christ receives great blessings from his father. Ephraim and Manasseh are Joseph's sons. 
we are to come to Christ with childlike faith. In fact, we don't often refer to Jesus as our Father, right? We refer to the Father as our Father. But there, is pla- there are places in the Bible that speak of Jesus as a Father to us, the way Joseph was a father to Ephraim and Manasseh. The most common one we do every Christmas. Isaiah 9, verse 6, we call Jesus our everlasting Father. It's a prophecy about the baby who's going to be born in the major, the the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the everlasting father. When we know Jesus in this way, when we come to Jesus in faith, he becomes a father to us. And through having him as our father, he brings us to the heavenly father and the heavenly father blesses us. My argument is that there is at least three ways in which this passage typifies or foreshadows how God blesses us through Jesus Christ. And here they are very quickly. I think they're obvious. Number one, through Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh were brought to their father and adopted by him. Through Jesus, we are brought to the heavenly father and are adopted by him. Isn't that what happens to us? We come to Jesus as our everlasting Father in childlike faith. He brings us to the Heavenly Father, and in a sense, He puts us on the knee of the Father, and the Father adopts us as His children. Listen to these verses, dear Christian. Believe them. Rejoice in this. Romans 8.15 You did not receive the spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 4-7, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir with God. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Dear church, think about what it means that through Jesus you've been adopted into the family of God. Think about what it means for you that God is your Father. What a Father you have. Remember those days in the playground when you're a kid and you're like, my daddy can beat up your daddy. right? Think about who your Father is now. If God is your Father, what can come against you? What can truly do your soul harm? Let the devil, let the flesh, let the world throw at you all that they will. You have a Father who will protect you, who will provide for you, who will preserve you, who will fulfill His promise and bring you safely into heaven. Number two. Through Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh received an inheritance from Jacob. Through Jesus, we receive an inheritance from the Father. Ephraim and Manasseh, through Joseph, were made the heads of tribes. They were given a position of authority, of dominion, of ruling. So the Bible also says that through Christ we will receive crowns, 
We will have dominion over the new heavens and the new earth. The Bible says that we will reign with Christ. Also, Ephraim and Manasseh through Joseph were given a small portion of the promised land, a little taste of the full Canaan that their descendants would possess. So also, we've been given an inheritance. The new heavens and the new earth We will dwell in glory on this earth made new. And this is the inheritance we have from our Father through Jesus Christ. And then finally, number three, through Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh were chosen by Jacob for great blessing. So through Jesus, we have been chosen by God for great blessing. The doctrine of election is clearly taught in Genesis 48. Joseph's boys received the right of the firstborn instead of the firstborn Reuben. Why? Because of Joseph. Ephraim and Manasseh were blessed because they were connected to Joseph. They were chosen in Joseph. In the same way, we have been chosen in Christ. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve the blessings of God. But God blesses us for Christ's sake. God blesses us because we are in Christ and He loves His Son and He loves to bless His Son. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Moreover, Ephraim was elected to be greater than Manasseh even though he was not the firstborn. So also we are freshly reminded that God is in charge of the lot of every Christian in the Christian family. And God blesses His children to differing degrees. Even in heaven we read that there will be differing rewards and differing blessings. But we will all be grateful for what God gives to us because we know that He is good and we know that He is wise and we know we don't deserve one bit of it. We will be grateful for what God gives Because mainly we will have God himself as our great blessing, as our great inheritance through Jesus Christ. And so just as these two boys had Jacob's hands placed upon them and they received great blessing because of their dad, so Joseph, so also all who come to Christ have the hand of the Father placed upon them in great blessing. And his hand of blessing is never taken off of us, ever, for all eternity. Christians will receive great blessings beyond what they can think or imagine. And it's all grace, and it's all undeserved, and it's all in Christ. And to God be all the glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.